Hello, everyone. I'm Jacob Chastain, host of the Teach Me Teacher podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay. As one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. The average teacher needs one semester to complete the program, and it culminates in a digital portfolio that you may use in job interviews or even with your current administration to, you know, (laughs) negotiate a raise or promotion. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals. NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage, stephenmaletto.com, find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way. And if you do that, if you buy something, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission and I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Samuel Melton Jr., the author of the book Chosen. Join us as we talk about his life in Liberty City, childhood memories, and his journey to becoming a pastor. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. By the way, it would be so awesome if you went into the app you're listening to me on and uh, you uh, rated and reviewed the podcast. What do you think? Could you do that for me? That'd be so cool. Thanks. Enjoy. You know, a couple of years ago, my uh, my wedding band started having problems. And I've had it for 34 years, and uh, it started breaking at, at the backside of it. And we got it fixed a couple of different times. And then eventually, not too long ago, one of those, that backside just fell out, and it couldn't be fixed any longer. And I'm like, this is crazy. I, you know, I shouldn't have to deal with this. And, and so anyway, then a friend told me about uh, Boone Titanium Rings, and uh, which is at boonrings.com, and they have this incredible selection of titanium rings, and and uh, I now have a titanium ring as my wedding band. What's really cool is like it's an engraved ring that has uh, these cool car pistons on it and some stars, and and I could have chosen from any kind of different stand, uh, styles, as well as they have all these other different types of rings, like uh, inlays that have meteorite, wood, acrylic, stone, and things like that they also make uh, carved rings and, and, and just a, an assortment of other rings that uh, are just pretty amazing they also make pendants and cufflinks and earrings and as well as a couple different types of tools um, I gotta tell you something it's really cool because this ring's not gonna break <laughs> and uh, they, they'll make you happy and uh, just as a note uh, teaching learning leading k-12 um, they've become an affiliate sponsor for us and so if you were to use our code which is capital T capital L capital L capital K the number 12 and uh, use that at checkout, you get 10% off your ring, and uh, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission. I think you're going to love their rings. I know I'd love mine. You are listening to Teaching Learning Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. Now here's Steve with this week's show. Apostle Samuel Melton Jr. is the founder of Rama Truth Tabernacle of Worship in Dublin, Georgia. He has been in ministry for over 15 years, serving God's people in many capacities. But before that, he was a street disc jockey in Miami, Florida. He was raised in Miami by his grandmother in Liberty City. And after her passing, he found his way to Fernandina Beach, Florida, and eventually to Dublin, Georgia. Samuel is married to Samantha. Samuel, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hello, everybody. How are you? Well, Samuel, it's so great to have you here. You've written a book called Chosen. What inspired you to write it? Well, 
um, as I was coming up um, in ministry, I was told by different people through prophecy that I had books that were on the inside of me that God wanted to get out. So I prayed about it, and I sought the Lord about it. And what came out was the topic of chosen. And I didn't want to really write it because of the way it was going because it was diving into so much of my background and things of that nature that I didn't want to go into. But I balled the paper up, and I waited a couple days, and I said, okay, let's start again. And when I went to writing it again, that's what came out. So I said, okay, God, I give up. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. So what's something that you would want a reader to remember from your book, Chosen? Um, I want a reader to uh, engage himself or herself in this book, knowing that they are not by themselves and trying to figure out um, – what it is they're going through as far as um, their walk with Christ, um, as far as them belonging to Christ, and if they actually have something that Christ want to do through them as a believer. Um, I want them to know that they are not alone um, in their journey and that me too, myself, um, were aware of where they are. Um, at that point, and I hope it just enlightened them a little bit on the subject and what they're trying to figure out. Excellent, excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, it, so let's, you know, one of the things you do is you talk about yourself as a child for a little bit, and we have some different stages in your in your life. So let's yes, let's sir. go there for a minute. Uh, yes, sir. Let's talk about you as a child. How did you come to live with your grandmother? Well, long story short, um, my dad, um, I don't know what quite went on at that point in time but my grandmother told me that when we came there we just showed up on their on her porch and we just had um just our underwear on and our t-shirts and I think something was going on between my dad and my mom at that time and I think the only place that he was uh thought was safe enough to take us was to my grandmother's house his mother and so we wound up coming from Fernandina Beach Florida to Miami Florida at a very young age, and that's where we remain. Um, and that's how um, me and my siblings were able to come and live with my grandmother. So, which is really cool because she plays a real important part of your life, right? Yes, she does. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, she does. Uh, my grandmother, she uh, basically took on the challenge by herself of raising me and my siblings. It was about six of us in the household with only her. There was not a male role model in the house, so she did all she could as far as clothing us, um, sending us to school, um, making sure we had what we needed as far as food and um, a roof over our head, you know, things of that nature, uh, without no outside help um, except for the church. The church came by and gave her different things that we needed after she told different ones, and they would come by. I remember them bringing clothes by and shoes of that nature, and sometimes they would bring food um, because she was by herself trying to raise us. So um, she played a very important role in my life as well as my siblings because of her faith and the way that her belief was um, in God. And so that's where I am now. I wouldn't be where I'm, I am if it wasn't for her. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's neat when a, you, know, you have this figure who family figure who plays such an important role in yes. your life. Yes. Yes. You know, one of the things that you talk about in, in, in your book chosen is the, uh, you know, you're really not as a kid, you really didn't talk much about, uh, about just aspects of what you're thinking about and stuff right, like this. And, right. and you actually referred to something that you called the do not enter zone. Could you yes, talk sir. about that? Well, the do not enter zone is where you have this compartment inside your mind that you tuck away stuff that really hurts you and you don't go in there. Um, everybody has some type. I, I choose to believe that everybody has some type of do not enter sign across something that they don't want to revisit. 
And it was so much trauma that went on in my life that I didn't want to open up and take that sign off the door and open that door back up to revisit it. But in this book, um, being obedient to the Lord, he allowed me to put some of that stuff inside of this book um, to show you that um, not you alone are going through different things, but everybody has some type of do not enter zone um, in their mind and in their hearts that they don't want to go into. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, it's just, when I read that part, I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty wild. Cause I, even though I may not have called it the same thing, mm. I got that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, a lot of people would identify with it because I just thank God for the way that he had me to write the book at first, because I didn't want to really go into it and it was hurtful. And I found myself sitting up crying and writing at the same time, because you have to revisit these things. These things are hurtful. They are painful and you don't want to, um, revisit it again because of the pain that you will feel, you know, but God wanted this book to be real and wanted it to be authentic. That way it could touch many people because what we go through is way bigger than us. It's always about him. And he wants to get the glory out of our lives. And the only way he can get the glory is if we be obedient and do what he says, do and be willing to do what he says, do. And then it'll be able to touch other people beyond yourself. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, let's talk a little bit about where you lived. Could you talk a little bit about what Liberty City was like and and uh, what less and what lessons <laughs> that that's very telling. This <laughs> is just with that right there. The uh, um, and maybe what lessons uh, that you learned that impacted you beyond your time there that kind of stuck with you. Yes. Um, Liberty City is the I, uh, uh, is the roughest city, the roughest place in in uh, Miami, Florida. It's the roughest place between that and Overtown. Um, a lot of people would not come to Liberty City because of the danger and the aspect of the killing and the robbing. I've seen people get robbed in the daylight. I've seen people uh, get killed in the daylight. I've seen a lot of theft, drugs, crime, you name it, was right there in Liberty City. And I saw my first shooting of an individual at the age of 14. And when you get in Miami and you live up and you grow up in Miami, it becomes natural and you become desensitized to it because you're like, okay, yeah, that's another person got shot. Okay, cool. Because it's almost every day. Um, it's almost every day that you see the ambulance going up and down almost 12 times in front of your street. You know, you hear gunshots over here. You know, you know, you need to duck down. It almost becomes like you just, it's normal, a normal way of living. My my uncle stayed in um, Overtown. We stayed in Liberty City. Overtown and Liberty City didn't click. They didn't get along. But we would walk from my grandmother's house on 55th and 12th Avenue to Overtown to my uncle's house. And we would walk back. But it was it was very dangerous. But um, a lot of stuff, I was in the Big Brothers and Big, Big Sisters program, and my grandmother stuck me in that, and I wound up having a big sister instead of a big brother. And it opened my eyes to the fact of there's more than what I see that's in the world. There's more that I haven't even um, imagined that was out there, and I wouldn't have seen it unless it was for this lady by the name of uh, Jeanette McKenzie. I remember her name just like clear as a, a bell. It's, she took me on these different places and um, took me to Disney World and all the opera and all of that to a banquet where I dressed up with a tie and everything on. I it blew my mind, and um, it was just things of that nature that opened up my mind more. That saying, okay, there's more to life than this, beyond this, and um, the things that my grandmother um, instilled in me, as well as my siblings. Um, and I sat at her feet and listened to her and gained the wisdom through her that, you know, 
um, there's more and you have to do something with yourself besides what you're doing. And so this uh, enabled me to grow past of where I was and get into the zone of where I am right now because I always, she took us being going to church. Um, I gave my life to Christ at five years old. And, you know, everybody has their own path. But um, getting back to the Lord, you know, I always had a fear of God. You know, and some stuff people were doing, I wouldn't do because I knew better. And I know my grandmother prayed for me and things of that nature, but it was just so much stuff that was um, instilled in me through her. That's awesome. And and so listening to you talk about it, it, I mean, do you think it would have been easy if you hadn't had those influences that she made sure were around you, that the other influences could have easily changed your path? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, if she didn't implement certain things, I knew my life would have been totally different than what it is now. Because with her, the only thing that she could keep us grounded in was church. Because outside of church, you had the streets. And so if she didn't win us to the Lord, the street was going to win us. But she tried her best to continue to keep us in the house of God. She didn't care whether it was at night. She didn't care what day it was or whatever. It seemed like we was in church almost all the time. I mean, Sunday, whether they had something on Wednesday, whether they had some kind of uh, convention, we was uh, going up to Fort Lauderdale, and, and she would drive by herself sitting on pillows, and she had this big green station wagon. she I'll never forget it. And we would be in that station wagon. She would have her white on going up to Fort Lauderdale to go to this um, convention. And she kept us in church as much as she could. And she told us what to do. She told us, that's wrong. That's uh, You're doing a good job. You know, she gave us structure, and that's what we needed. You know, even though she, it was hard for her to do it by herself, but she gave us structure. And um, I, 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 I really... Um, truly, um, thank her for that. I miss her a whole lot though. I really do. Yeah, you can, you can hear that in your voice. It's, <laughs> it's cool. The, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, you talk about, uh, in the beginning of your book mm-hmm. is, uh, you, you, you talk about, and you mentioned it just a few minutes, seconds ago, mm-hmm. um, about that, about walking. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talk about walking to school and back from school. Can yes, you, sir. Can you talk a little bit about school and then make sure you include something about that walk there, right? Okay. All right. Um, early in the morning, my grandmother would get all of us up and we walked to school. We didn't have any buses that come by our house. I don't know where they were going way out to go get people, but we never did see a yellow school bus in Miami, Florida, in Liberty City. So what would happen is that we stayed on 55th and 12th Avenue and say we had to go to my high school, which was Miami Northwestern Senior High. We had to walk blocks from my grandmother's house all the way to the high school. And not only that now, even in elementary, we had to walk from my grandmother's house and I went to Orchard Villa Elementary School. And so we had to walk from 55th and 12th, us being young, going all the way to elementary school and she will watch us, you know, going to the curve and to the corner. And once we get past the corner, that was it. But she would watch from her porch to make sure we got to that corner. And um, she went on. But she, it's like she um, had um, the, the principal on speed dial because if anything went on, he would call her. And his, I'd never forget his name. His name was Mr. Mingo. And whatever went on, he would call us to the front office, especially me. Called me to the front. I was, I'm going to tell your grandmother, Miss Lucille. And I was like, please don't call my grandma. Please don't call her. Please don't call her. And he would always have on speed dial. I was like, oh, my God. And I didn't want her to come out to the school. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God, grandma, please don't come out to the school. And, you know, it was discipline. And, you know, I really thank her for it because, you know, she had a loving moments and stuff like that, but she was strict too. And she was like, you're not going to embarrass me out here in front of nobody. (laughs) 
But walking those blocks to school, we had to walk in the rain. She didn't care whether it was uh, throwing down uh, lightning. We had to, I mean, it, I remember a time walking there where we had to put bags over our heads and on our clothes, and people would run into the puddles intentionally to wet you up while you was on the way to school. And I'm like, oh, my God. But we couldn't turn around because we were like, oh, what you gonna, we can't go back home and say, Grandma, we got wet. She's going to look at you like, okay, you know, <laughs> you need to be in school. Why are you coming back here? Because you wet. No. And so, you know, we went on to school and everything. And, you know, and then after that, we come on back home. But those were blocks. I mean, Miami, Florida blocks, walking from 54th and oh, 55th and 12th all the way to Past 62nd Street, it had to be almost 71st or something like that. And those were long blocks you had to walk. You had to walk every day. I walked to elementary school. I walked to uh, junior high. I walked to the YMCA. And I walked to high school. You did some walking, didn't you? I did some walking. (laughs) (laughs) And even though the MTA bus... Rolled by, and we could have caught the MTA bus, but she didn't give us money to catch the bus because that was a waste because she was steady trying to feed us. And so why would she spend money on the bus and she can spend money on groceries and have us eating, and we can walk. There's nothing wrong with our feet. So, you know, we walked everywhere we went until I wound up getting a car in Miami, but, you know, was able to catch the bus and get a transfer. But other than that, no, we walked everywhere, everywhere. That, uh, that, that, you know, that in itself would instill a little bit into you to let you know that you can do it, right? Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And um, when I got to the point of getting the car, um, I was like, wow. I was still parked the car and walked because I was so used to walking, you know? And it was like, why am I walking and I got a car? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I think I lost most of my weight by walking. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Oh my god! So, so something you mentioned in the beginning of your book is this: when you're born, you don't get the opportunity to pick your situation, parents, or skin color, even race. Could you talk about this? Yes. Um, being born, um, we all know that we come from God, um, because in Jeremiah he told him that. I knew you before you was in your mother's womb. That means that we had come from God and we were placed here for the purpose of God. And so God picks the family who he wants us to be in. And so we don't have a choice. The only person who has a choice is God, but we have a choice to be willing to try to figure out what he wants us to do while we're here. Um, the situation that me and my siblings um, grew up in, that was the choice that he made for us to be in. And he knows the future as well as the end. But this is where um, we talk about uh, we don't have a choice because no one does. Um, we're just spiritual beings in an earthly body. So he saw fit to put me with my mom and my dad and then saw fit for me to wind up with my grandmother and go through the things that I went through. And all of it were building blocks to get me to where I am right now. Now going through it, you don't understand it, but as you put the puzzles together and put the pieces together, you kind of look back and say, okay, this is why that happened. Okay. This is why I went over there. Okay. This is what he was dealing with me with about and you know you start getting pieces and putting them together and now you forming your puzzle and so we don't have a choice in the matter of the say so what color we are um what color eyes we are we have um who we are and what we are everything is up to god What a neat lesson. I, I, I mean, you know, that you've come away with from your experiences and such because, right, you don't, you, you, you've got the cards that are dealt and that's what you do with them, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you've proven. And it's, it's, 
you know, it's a heck of a thing because sometimes we could, I think we could sit there and whine, mm -hmm. oh, poor pitiful me, mm -hmm. or can you figure out how to make, make it work for you? Right, right. And saying that, I had no idea that the Lord was going to do the work that he's doing in me. And I always tell people that it could have been somebody else. But he saw fit to choose me. And I counted a privilege and an honor to serve nobody. I mean, who wouldn't serve God? Who wouldn't answer the call? Because he's greater and bigger than anybody. He's the creator of the whole world, the universe. So I count that an honor just like serving in the military. I count that an honor. But this is a real honor. No, I hadn't been to the military, but I've been to the military of being a Christian. And I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. <laughs> Very nice. So, you know, one of the things that I got to make sure that we go back to before we get a little okay. more in depth here is right. uh, um, you talk about being a street disc jockey. Yes. So you got to tell everybody what that is and what that was like, because you actually had a pretty good thing going there. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I was interested in DJing um, as uh, when I started hearing the music, because on a Saturday morning, I never forget it. Uh, there was a store by the name of Zares. And right by that store, these guys on Saturday morning had never failed. They would pull out these big speakers. And you can hear these speakers from the music from blocks and blocks and blocks. It was echoing off the houses. And I was like, what is that? And so I came out of my grandmother's house and I walked down towards where the music was going and, and coming from. And I walked to the corner where the traffic light was and I looked across the street and diagonally where the parking lot was and there was the big speakers making all that noise. And I was like, wow, man, are you serious? I, I had never seen nothing like that before in my life. And it really intrigued me because of the sound and then you had somebody on the microphone, rocking the mic, DJing, and I'm like, this is awesome. And then back then they would have not four speakers. Sometimes they would have eight speakers. Sometimes they would have 24 speakers, 16. And sometimes people would have more and more and more speakers. They would have 32, 48. We had 48 speakers in the club. And, and I mean, the more speakers there are, the more power you have, the louder it is and the more bass it is. And so I had an awesome time DJing. I mean, my God. I mean, you know, we DJed every Saturday. Uh, we even DJed uh, on a Friday because we had this thing at the club called Kitty Day. And then we would DJ on a Saturday where we had the, um, the, um, the teenagers come in. And they would come in, and they would pay, and we would have that club that night, and we would DJ in that club. And um, it was about six six of us would have, would be DJing. We would take turns DJing on the microphone. And so we had a good time. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's uh, I, I only imagine. Now, now, before we start recording, you started telling a story about how you kind of got this bug that had to go that direction, and, and I, you delivered – um, promo albums to yes, the studio. Yes, you got to yes, You got to share that with yes, everybody. Yes. Okay. Um, working in the record company, um, which was um, Skywalker Records, um, I we had this uh, errand we had to run, and so it was me and JP, um, my supervisor, and so he said we had to go and take some promos um, to the radio station. I said, okay, cool. So we're driving and everything. And now, I mind you now, um, in Miami, the radio station that we listened to was WEDR. And I grew up listening to the radio station. And the uh, guy that was on there was Jerry G. And so 
he would be on the radio, and I always admired him because of the way he played the music and the way he sounded on the radio and stuff like that. I was like, man, this guy is good. And I would get my radio and record it and, and, and push play and record at the same time. And I was like, man, listen to the radio. And so that opportunity came for us to go to the radio station and um, give them promo copies. So when I walked into the radio station and I looked and I was like, wow, I'm actually in the radio station, W-E-D-R. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And so I'm in, the, I'm in the radio station, and I'm looking at the DJ, and they had the big old turntables with the big steel um, arms, and had the, they were sitting on cotton, and they was in this room, and they had the speaker on the wall. I'll never forget it with this big glass, and the guy was in there on the radio, and um, – on the outside of the uh, door, it said, on the air. And I said, okay. And so I was just standing up there. And then so Jerry said, all right, man, it's time to go. And I didn't want to leave because <laughs> I was just fascinated <laughs> because I seen this guy. I'm like, I'm in the radio station. Yo, I'm actually here. And so I was like, man, he was like, well, we got to go. We got to go. And I'm like, I'm still standing up there. He said, all right, we got to go. And so I wound up leaving uh, the radio station. But it was just awesome to go in there and see how everything was inside the radio station i was like oh my god so it was cool it was a cool moment that's awesome that's so awesome <laughs> so let's 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 go from uh, the street disc jockey and uh, the radio station all that stuff to uh you know you spend some time in your book talking about the thief mm. how does the thief interfere with you doing what you should do okay um the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I tell people who I meet that the thief comes to steal. He comes to steal whatever he can. Come to steal your, your, your joy, your future, your passion. Whatever he could get his grips on, he can. that's what he wants to take. He comes to kill your dreams. He comes to kill your destiny on the inside of you. He comes to kill anything he can to stop you from moving forward in God or to try to get you to um, stop believing or get off track or whatever. Anything that he has in uh, his tactics, in his bag of tactics, his bag of tricks, he wants to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. We're here for God to do a work for God. And he don't want you to know that. He wants you to go around amiss and without a care in the world, don't try to find out what you're here for because everybody's here for a purpose and for a reason. My reason might not be your reason and your reason might not be my reason, but we have a reason to be here. And he don't want anybody to figure that out and so what he does is throw different things in your path to get you not to get to that point to make you throw up your hand and say well I'm just going to turn around I'm not going to do that I'm not going to try to get into that or you try to frustrate the plan of God in your life because he'll try to throw all kind of things at you you might make up in your mind, okay, I'm going to serve the Lord. The next thing you know, something doesn't come out. Your money acting funny, your change looking strange, your tire done blew out, somebody acting up on the job, all kinds of stuff. And so he tries to steal your destiny and your purpose in God. That's what he does. But we have to have the tenacity to hold on and say, okay, we're going to go full speed ahead no matter what. But that's what the enemy does. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a thief. And what does a thief do? He come in stealthily. He come in unaware. And if he can find a crack to get in your house, that's what he'll use. And when he shows up, guess what? Sometimes you don't even know he's there. But he's stealing and robbing you blind. He might be robbing you while your eyes are open. Just don't ever know. The uh, and what's powerful about when you're talking about all of this is that uh, 
It really is. All those excuses that someone might make about not wanting to, oh, I don't have the time for this, or, you know, I don't, uh, who me? I don't think I can do this. You know, that, that's him think talking through you. Is that- that's right. That's right. I remember a time when I was, uh, I made it to Fernandina, and I had a whole lot of stuff on the burner going. I had these guys coming in. They were going to do this big concert and all this, this other kind of stuff. And I'm sitting in church, and I say, you know what? I'm going to rededicate my life to the Lord. And guess who else shows up? The devil. And he's sitting there talking to me while I'm talking to myself. And he's saying, wait a minute, you got this going on, that going on. People are going to come into town, is this and that and this and that. And I, it, what rose up in myself was, I don't care what you're saying. I'm going to make my way up here to this altar and I'm going to give my life to Christ. And whatever uh, uh, goes on behind, uh, uh, goes on with that other stuff, it don't matter to me. And so that's when you have to make the decision, okay, am I going to go through with this? Or I'm going to sit here and listen to the enemy talking to me to keep me out of heaven's gate. And that's the main thing. What is it to gain the whole world and you lose your only soul? Because we only got one. But we are in charge of that soul. That's so powerful. The uh, And, you know, something that you make a point of in, in your book is that um, you know, at some point we have, uh, you're trying to figure out who you are mm-hmm. and, you know, and what you're meant to do and, uh, you know, what your, what your purpose is and so forth. And that this is where these voices can really just derail you. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, sir. Um, going into that is not an easy thing to try to decipher. Because when you have these voices and you have these different dreams and you're trying to figure out what is it, God, that you want me to do. I remember this guy coming to the church that I went to in Folkestone, Georgia. And he said, a lot of you are in here, but you're in the wrong position. You're not doing what God called you to do. And it stuck out to me like, okay, I was serving as a deacon then. And I said, okay, this might not be what God wants me to do. And he said, well, if this is what the guy said. He said, if you really want to know, just pray and ask God and he'll tell you. So I got to the point and I said, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? And. I had two questions. I said, I said, when you answer me now, don't scare me. I said, please don't scare me. <laughs> and <Nice>. so <laughs> I asked him, I said, well, do I, I, I said, do I have the Holy Spirit? And what am I here to do? When I laid down that night, a face appeared. And he said, the Spirit of God is in you and the face went away and then there was this like this um black dark place but it was like catacombs and stuff like that and i had this robe on and i was going from house to house casting out demons and devils and i was like what in the world is going on here And then all of a sudden, I woke up. But if going to different people, they can't understand what you're talking about. So the only person who knows what you're supposed to be doing and who you are is God. So you have to go back to the source. But sometime he'll reveal it, but you don't understand it. But after a moment in time, and you keep walking, and you keep going through, and you keep seeking him, all the pieces will come together, and then you'll figure out what it is. And sometimes he won't let you know what it is until a certain time, too. Um, and then 
because sometimes people can put the carriage in front of the horse, so to speak. They'll rush out there, oh, I'm like that Superman. Oh, I'm Superman, I'm Superman. But you don't have a cape. You don't know how to fly. You don't even know what kryptonite is. And But you Superman. And see, he don't want us to go out there rushing out there to do anything unless we have everything that we need. And then the opportune times comes, and then he'll release it to you and let you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. That's awesome. I, you know, I got to tell you, you have a really neat story that you tell in the in the book that has to do with uh, um, a man being told to to push the boulder, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's about to give up, and uh, and God speaks to him and says. Well, you've been pushing the boulder just like I asked you to. Did I tell you to move it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, that's right. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, I, that's my favorite poem. I came across that a couple of years ago, and I was getting to the point where I was like, okay, God, I'm doing what you said do, but nothing is actually manifesting. And in ministry, this is one of the key factors that goes on. We often try to make things work, when God just said, do this, we'll add to it. And then we'll go to God and say, well, God, it's not working. But God said, all I did was tell you to do this. So that's where this poem comes in about the guy with the boulder and the Lord just told him to push against the rock. And all he did was tell him to push against the rock. And the guy went to complaining and listening to the devil come to him and tell him, well, nothing is going on or whatever. Look like, look. And that's what the devil does when you're in ministry. Oh, look like everybody's not coming. Look like what you're doing. You might as well throw your hands up and just close the doors in and this and that. And he talks to everybody. Why? Because he wants to still kill and destroy the plan of God for your life. And so when God tells us to open up a ministry, okay, we open it up. God says, stay there. And just keep the doors open. We stay there, but we want to have the people to come in while we got the doors open. And God is saying, no, I just wanted you to open up the doors. I will bring the people, not you go out and get the people. You understand what I'm saying? But when it comes down to the boat and the rock, the enemy will talk to us and have us doubting God. Because we're overexerting ourselves and we're putting ourselves into a position of trying to be God and trying to fill the house when God just said, just like he told the man, just push against the rock. And see, when he began to push against the rock and God began to show him, he said, well, you think that nothing is going on, but look at your arms. Your arms are big now. You're stronger than what you used to be. Look at, you know, it, it, you think that nothing is actually going on because you can't, you can't see it, but God is trying to see, let you see something else um, that he's working on. We're looking over here, but God said, no, look over there. This is what I'm working on in you. And so dealing with that aspect, especially in ministry, we have to do what the Lord say do and just wait on God for the results. And so that's my, and whenever I get to a point where I feel down or I feel like nothing is actually going on, I always turn to that, that poem and I read that poem and I say, okay, God, I'm going to stand firm on what you said. I'm going to stand firm, firm and believe what you said. And I know you're up to something because I know you never let me down and I'm going to continue to trust in you. And God never fails. He had never failed me yet. Oh, that's so powerful. I love it. I, you know, in chapter seven, now I know you go one direction with what I'm about to say, but I'm going to kind of take <laughs> you back into the, what you actually say with the words real quick, because mm-hmm. in, in chapter seven, you say this about marriage. Being married is wonderful, but it's a lot of work. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Could you talk about this in terms of a couple and the ministry, the idea that, I mean, because you've got, uh, I would yes. think that's a big yes. part of trying to do a little bit of uh, talking people into some sense. Yes. Yes, sir. Um, I, you know, being in ministry, I've been in ministry for over 15 years. Um, you always want that ideal ministry relationship as far as with your wife and, you know, your spouse and so, and your, and your children, but getting to that point is not everybody coming together all at one time. 
what you see some Sunday mornings in some ministries, it's a lot of tension behind that because some wives as well as husbands, they do not want the title of being a pastor's wife or the husband might not want to be the pastor's uh, husband or the children don't want to be connected at all with ministry because guess what? They have their friends and they have peer pressure and they don't want to be named as the pastor's child. And so now you're juggling and trying to figure this out and try to figure out how to do ministry and trying to figure out how can I get my family together to get to the house of God, to, to be on one accord. And there's so much tension going on. And I say this also, and I had to come to the realization of this. When Jesus called the 12 disciples, he didn't call their wives. He called them. And so what we do is we try to bring the whole family along, which we always want that force behind us that's cheering us on, our children, our wife and stuff. But can you do it alone by yourself, even if your family don't come? Because guess what? At the end of the day, God called you. He didn't call them. Yes, it would be nice for them to come along because, yes, uh, what was one is now two. Uh, uh, two was one. Now you come together as one, one flesh. But what if you have to do what God has called you to do by yourself? That's a hard thing. And so you want to be on one accord. You want your family to come along. But at the end of the day, you have the charge. If anybody has to go to the house of God and open up, it's you. If anybody has to go to the house of God and clean the restrooms, it's you. If anybody has to go and vacuum, it's you. If anybody has to go and do the windows, it's you. If anybody has to sweep the parking lot, it's you. The only thing I can tell those who may be struggling in that area, if you continue to put your foot forward and do what God has told you to do, everything else will fall in line. It has its way, it has its way of working out. That's, that's awesome. It's, it's, it's very powerful. And I can imagine it's, you know, as a pastor, everybody wants a little bit of you. Mm -hmm. And so if you got the family, got to understand that because your family needs you too. That's right. That's yeah. right. And you have to learn how to decipher between the two. Um, yes, you have your congregation, but you have your family too. And so um, it's, it's hard when they pull on you to the fact where you give up so much space and time with the ministry, but you don't minister to your own household. And so your own household goes lacking because of your, um, your focus is so much on the ministry. God wants us to take care of our houses as well as the ministry. And so we can't take care of the ministry and have our houses lacking at the same time. That's not going to work. So you have to work on your house and make sure you have everything is okay in your own household before you even go to the house of God. And that's why a lot of marriages are under strain. That's why most marriages are um, people are being divorced is because trying to juggle the two and the one that is needing to be uh, held to the utmost is really sinking when you're paying more attention to the ministry. And so being married is a ministry itself as well as being in the house of God. And so I don't believe that God would want us to make sure the house of God is taken care of and our marriage go lacking. That's, that's not God, not at all. And so we're going to have to learn how to get the two um, together to make it function and run as a well or machine. That's just, I just got that. <laughs> Hey, that's <laughs> the epiphany happened, huh? I just got that. I said, okay, God. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> a well-oiled machine. Okay. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So, you know, uh, uh, Samuel, mm -hmm. I got to I gotta make sure before we, we finish up that uh, you talk a little bit about this, which is you talk about 
it's very important to have a servant's attitude. Can you explain yes, that? Yes, yes. Um, coming up in ministry, um, as far as us being able to reach people, um, we have to do as the word of God says and as Jesus um, left as a record for us in the word of God. And that is being a servant. If you look at how Jesus carried himself, all the years of his ministry, he served. He didn't go out and say, okay, I'm so-and-so, and so you got to cater to me. That's not what he did. He called us to serve one another. And so if we serve one another, the love of God is spread abroad. But being a servant and having a servant's attitude, it's a humble attitude. It's a humbleness about it. And so if you continue to serve in no matter what capacity it is, um, you will draw people to Christ. You'll win souls. You'll have love radiated from yourself. But the thing is, what people fail to realize is that, okay, once you get in a position of power, it's easy for things of pride and, and different things of that nature to rise up on the inside of you because now it's like, look at me. But God wants us to be servants and have a serving attitude. He wants us to serve one another with love. And how can we do that with a haughty spirit? Or how can we do that with a prideful spirit? The Bible says pride goes before a fall. And so if you are a proud person, you're not having a servant attitude. Jesus even took the towel and washed the disciples' feet. And so if the master, Jesus, the savior of the world, took a towel and washed the disciples' feet, what makes us greater than Jesus? That's a powerful <laughs> question because there are some there who are, yeah, I, I, I just that whole that whole section right there is just awesome because it just I appreciate you talking about it because it's uh, I th I just think there's so much to learn from that. It is, it is. Um, we can easily, by titlehood, wind up being to the point where we want people looking at us. Um, it's easily to get into a position of pride when you in a position of power, as far as being a pastor as far as being an apostle, as far as being a bishop, missionary, everybody's, um, everybody can fall prey to it, I might say. But the humility comes when you know and you put this in the back of your mind as well as your front of your mind that you had no choice in the choosing of yourself to do what you do. That would make you humble to the fact where you say, okay, and I always say this, and I said it before, it could have been somebody else, but the Lord chose me. And to be chosen by God is a special thing. Many are called, but few are chosen. That's just like the army said, we only need a few good men. And you are one of the chosen few that got into the army. It's a special thing. And so when God puts his hand on you and his stamp of approval on you and wants to do something through you in the world, it's an awesome thing. And so you have to humble yourself and have a servant attitude and say, okay, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. What do you want me to do? Awesome. Just so powerful. And thank you so much. Hey, Samuel, before we close, and I got a couple of other questions I got to ask you, but before we get there, uh, if someone wanted to connect with you, learn more, 
and or get a copy of your book, Chosen, where would you send them? Yes, sir. Um, they will go to Amazon.com. Um, you can get it in book form there. Or if you want to reach me, um, you can reach me at Apostle Samuel Melton. My um, P.O. box is 233 Dublin, Georgia, 31040. Or you can follow me on Instagram, which is uh, the author Samuel, uh, the author S. Melton Jr. That's Instagram, the author S. Melton Jr. Or you can find me at the church at 113 High Street, Dublin, Georgia. We're there on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, and we're doing Zoom now for our Thursday night um, studies. And uh, we have that on Zoom. So, uh, but we're we're going to have a good time at Easter um, this Sunday at our uh, morning worship service at ten o'clock. Excellent, excellent. And I'll have those uh, those links, and I'll have the the book uh, linked through uh, Amazon as well on my show notes, so they'll Amen. be able to find it there. That's right? good. Thank the Lord for that. I appreciate it. Very cool. <laughs> uh, so, two last questions that are just my own questions. I like to ask. Yes, sir. And the first one goes like this. How do you you keep going when things get so much, there's so much going on, you get overwhelmed, and you want to quit? What I do is I find time to um, get to a place where I, I know when I'm being overloaded. And I get to that place where I have to get by myself and steal away and get my mind and my thoughts together and talk to the Lord um, and get my bearings and my grounding again. Um, because we can get into a whole lot and get over our heads and get overwhelmed. But I always go, I used to go out and when I was in um, St. Mary's, I used to go to the waterfront and I used to drive there after work and just sit there and talk to the Lord. And then once I stayed there for about 35 minutes to an hour, I just get in my car and go home. And so all of us need that breaking point. And if Jesus stole away, to talk to God, that was his main source of his grounding. And so we need to do the same thing. And I learned through prayer and talking to the Lord and just getting that release um, and getting those things that overwhelm me off of me um, that uh, I can get to a place where I can find myself grounded again. And I can move on and um, do what I need to do because there's a lot of stuff that we have to do. As far as you talking about ministry, you got your family, you got your job, you got your children. We have many hats and it's a juggling thing. But, yeah, I say through prayer and uh, talking to God, that's my main two sources. Awesome. Awesome. The uh, the last question I got for you goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Wow. I have several teachers. Um, one of them name was Miss, Mr. Palms. And I had one. I, well, my the other, um, not the teacher, but my principal, Mr. Mingo. And then I did have an art teacher that was in Alapata. I have several of them. And, you know, they always saw the good in me. And even though I may have gotten into a little bit of trouble, I still thank them and I appreciate them for what they did in my life. I really do. Because even Mr. Smith, my uh, PE coach, <laughs> I thank God for him because he wanted us to square dance in the middle of Liberty City. And who played country music in the city? <laughs> nice, nice, very nice, nice. And, and, and my God, I mean, um, just those, those I could just name off of my head. It was the art teacher. It was my principal. It was uh, Mr. Palms because he had me in my first, uh, my first, uh, I think it was a play that we did in our elementary school, and we danced to the song, um, What's Going On? And that's what, I think that was by Marvin Gaye. And um, I played the bongos, and I, I was the first time on stage, and um, he poured a lot into his students. And there was always correction 
Um, and he didn't play the radio. When I say play the radio, he did not play with us. He made sure that we was on our up and best behavior. Even when he walked down, uh, walked out the classroom and went a couple doors down to another classroom, he said, you guys better be on your best behavior or you know what time it is when I get back in here. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, but I thank God for every life lesson learned. I really do. I really do. That's so excellent. Uh, Samuel, thanks so much for sharing some of your life story and your book, Chosen, with us today. Yes, wishing, wishing you the very best in all you do. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it, and I thank you for the opportunity for being here today and being on your podcast and sharing with those who are out there. I really count it an honor. I really thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, did you know that you can buy me a soft drink? That's right. By going to buymeacoffee.com slash Stephen Maletto, you can support Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 by making a donation. And it's really cool. You got this little cool uh, soft drink cup right there. <laughs> that would be so awesome if you'd do that. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash Stephen Maletto, and you can help support Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. Thank you so much. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.